five, four, three. Start, start having a countdown. <laughs> well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, we are in the book of First Peter, chapter one. We're going to be looking at verses twenty-two through twenty-five this morning. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Charlie has some in his hand. I'd love to bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. First Peter, chapter one, verses twenty-two through twenty-five this morning. Starting in verse 22, Apostle Peter writes, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever, now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. The title of my study this morning is Sincere Love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, this, this opportunity to gather together as your church, to open up your word, Lord, which we love, and which we are excited to know that your Holy Spirit is going to teach us from your word this morning. So Lord, we pray that we'd be receptive to all that you have for us, Lord, that we would seek to apply these truths, Lord, to our own lives. Lord, that we wouldn't sit back and go, I wish so-and-so was here, that they could hear this, Lord, but we would seek for ourselves what you have to say to each one of us this morning. Father, we pray if there's anyone that has joined us this morning that does not have a personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, or not born again, we pray, Lord, that they would come to know you and love you and serve you as we do. And so, Lord, we ask your blessing upon this time. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't often do this, but there's a couple commercials on TV that I thought really fits kind of in our study this morning. Maybe you've seen them. It's Josh Norman of the Washington Redskins and Des Bryant of the Dallas Cowboys. And there's a commercial for a cell phone. I'm not advocating the cell phone company, just the commercial. So go ahead and show the, these two commercials, Jacob. Now here's the response. I thought that was great because it really shows how our society has changed. The first text message was sent from a computer to a cell phone by British engineer Neil Papworth. Uh, The text message was on December 3rd, 1992, and it read, Merry Christmas. And the single text message revolutionized the way that we communicate. But it comes with side effects today. We simply do not talk 
anymore. We text, we email, we post on Facebook, we, we tweet on Twitter. And as a result, it's destroying our ability to effectively communicate in our work relationships, in our marriages, in our dating life, in our relationships with our friends, kids, nieces, nephews, parents, siblings. We shout you know, out at the world loudly without, without ever speaking a word. We vent without ever speaking to a person face-to-face, you know, and, and never picking up the phone. The fact of the matter is, I think we've all turned into cowards. I was just going to text, you know, instead of talk to them on the phone. We simply prefer to be anonymous because in actual conversation, you have to listen to what the other person is saying. You hear their tone of voice, how they say what they're saying, the meaning behind their words. So I can say, oh, oh, oh man, you're crazy. Or I can type, you're crazy. Now, speaking the words shows, I think, that the person has a lively personality that likes to take part in doing crazy things, fun things. Texting the word, I've accused them of having a mental disorder and needing serious professional help. <clears throat> I think you'll all agree that our society is becoming less personal, that the personal is being substituted by the virtual and the techn- technological. We're becoming really good at communicating in technology, but one-on-one, eye-to-eye, person-to-person, we're losing that. I mean, to be a, a friend today, I think, has lost its meaning. It's not what it used to be. In fact, we've gone backwards in times when it comes to friends. When you were a kid and your buddy accidentally hurt you, you know, a little kid, you say, you're not my friend anymore, you know. And, and you actually told them that face-to-face, but, but then you were back to being friends five minutes later. Now we just unfriend someone and done with the relationship, whammo, no more friends, you're not my friend anymore. You see, as a result, there's a lack of sincerity, a lack of love between people, and it's all just words. That's why I believe Peter's words for us today are so fitting. Verse 22, he writes, In sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. And the only way to do that is with our actions, not by our words. Love is an action word. It's active. It's what you do. There's no greater force than love. I mean, if two, two people truly love each other, they'll do anything for each other. There is no greater bond on earth that we have than true love. Now, in order to really know what sincere love is, you need to be born again, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Because I believe there's a difference between the love that believers have for one another and the, the, the love that unbelievers have for, let's say, their neighbors. We as a believer, as believers that have a different kind of love than uh, the neighbors have for one another. Jesus said in John thirteen thirty four, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. How did Jesus love us? By giving his life for us. That's the highest level of love, biblical, godly, sacrificial, agape love that God has for us. Now, with that said, it's not always easy to love certain people. It can be quite hard. But if we're going to obey the Lord, then we need to apply his word. Take some effort on our part because we're dealing with people. In fact, when Peter says, love one another fervently with a pure heart, that word fervently means to stretch to the limit. It speaks of an athletic term. It speaks of intensity with determination. You know, it's like the, the, the tape at the finish line and you're running a race and they, they, they stretch forward with just intensity and, and moving forward in that way. That, that's what the word fervent means. It's like high jumpers, you know, or pole vaulters trying to get as high as they can go, reach as far as they can. We're to love one another fervently. Now, this implies it takes some effort. It's a command that implies that this is something you have to consciously decide to do and obey. To love fervently means you will stretch yourself to the limit to trying to love to understand that other person. 
To love fervently means that you'll give the person the benefit of the doubt. It means you'll take that, that extra effort to reach out to others. To love others fervently means that you're not going to be easily offended. Now again, because we're dealing with people, some people are absent-minded and they don't mean to slight you. Some people are just kind of rough around the edges and, and they don't mean to offend you with their words. Other folks are just really busy with family life and they don't mean to ignore you or rush by you without speaking to you. But even with that said, we're to love them anyway. It's a story I found of a, of a woman and her husband who came to their pastor and said, there's no feeling left in our marriage. We're going to get a divorce, but we want to come to make sure that you approve of it. Hoping that the pastor would say, well, if there's no feeling left, then the only thing you can do is split up. Instead, the pastor said to the husband, the Bible says you're to love your wife as Jesus Christ loved the church. Husband replied, I can't do that. Pastor said, well, if you can't begin at that level, then begin on a lower level. You're supposed to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Can you at least love her as you love your neighbor? The husband said, no, that's still too high a level. The pastor finally said, the Bible says love your enemies. Begin there, okay? <laughs> Jesus put it this way in Matthew five forty-three through 45. You have heard that it was said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. See, only those whose hearts have been, have been changed have the capacity to love like this. Now, Peter, this morning, gives us three reasons, if you're taking notes, why we should love like this. Number one, we should love like this, love one another, because our souls have been purified. Look at verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. See, when, when something is purified, it, it's totally clean from impurities. Listen, the Word of God is a purifying agent to our souls. It's a miracle cleansing agent. My son Matthew, last Tuesday night we had our harvest party, which was great fun. It was just awesome. And, but he came as, dressed up as Mr. Clean. I mean, complete with the shaved head. He had the gold earring in. He had the white eyebrow, the white shirt, white pants, white shoes and everything. But the real Mr. Clean that the world needs is the Word of God. Peter says we have purified ourselves by obeying the truth. Listen, the only way that we can truly love one another the way the Bible says we are to is to be cleansed from all the junk in this world. Cleansed from selfishness. Cleansed from any self-seeking attitudes that we may have that, that, that we had as unbelievers. Peter says we are purified by obeying the truth. David put it this way in Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. See, the word of God is our only foundation for purification. No matter how precious experience might be, our experiences fade, but the word of God remains a sure foundation for cleansing from sin and conformity to Christ. I mean, think about this. It's the word of God that brought us to Christ in the first place. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You hear the Word of God shared and you read it for yourself and God does the rest by bringing you to Himself and cleansing you from your sin. But it's also the Word of God that conforms us. James says that God's Word is like, like a mirror reflecting the reality of our hearts. I mean, what does a wise man or wise woman do with a mirror? They throw it away, right? I mean, that's, no. We check to see if there's any nose hair sticking out, you know, if there's any wild eyebrows going off, if your face is really clean. You check to see if there's anything wrong you know, with your reflection to see in the mirror. And then you make the proper changes. 
So as we look to God's word, we see what we need to be, what we need to do. And as we do, then we make those changes necessary. See, once we've been purified through the word of God and what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we then have the capability to love others as the scripture teaches us to do. And that responsibility is to obey God's word. Again, as I quoted already, John thirteen thirty five, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I loved you, that you also love one another. But notice again in verse 22, what kind of love for the brethren we're to have. It says there it should be a sincere love of the brethren. That word sincere means uh, free from any pretense or deceit, not dishonest or hypocritical. In other words, it's a real deal. It, it's not fake. It's a Greek word, it's one we've heard before. It means without hypocrisy, okay? I'll try it one more time. Anupokritos. A-N-U-P-O-K-R-I-T-O-S. Anupokritos. Like Doritos. Peter says, don't be fake with your love is what he's saying. Okay? Don't pretend to really love people. There's nothing worse than fake love. Nothing worse than saying, oh, I'm at church now. Click. Hi, brother. How are you? And then you leave and you walk away. You know, don't, don't want to do that. That's just weird. Matthew Henry puts it this way. Hypocrisy is to do the devil's work in God's uniform. See, we're not to have just surface love, but love from the heart. Not just words, but actions. Because if you truly love someone from the heart, our actions will show it. I think one of the most deadly enemies of the Christian cause is phony love, insincere love. That's what Paul says in Romans 12, 9, let our love be genuine. When you come into church, especially among the people of God, love must be genuine. If not, it's just hypocrisy. You see, insincere love is when you fill in your love with cheap substitutes. Let me give you an example. You pay somebody a compliment, but you really don't mean it. You're not really trying to encourage them. You're trying to manipulate them and get someone something from them. And you butter them up the best way that you can. Oh, hey, brother, how you doing? Love you. you know, how's that car of yours running? You, know, you want to get rid of it? Or you give somebody a hug, not because you care, but because you, you want to get close to that person physically. That's insincere love. Think about this. What apostle had insincere love? That's easy. That's Judas Iscariot. He was the guy, you know, when the, when the woman, woman poured the oil upon Jesus to anoint him for burial in that, in that house, he spoke and said, oh, this, this could have been used, sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. Oh, sounds like he's got love for the poor. Oh, he, he doesn't. It's insincere love. Because John added a footnote in his gospel that says this guy didn't care for the poor. He was a thief and wanted to take money for himself. On another occasion, Judas Iscariot is, 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 sees Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He has Roman soldiers in tow. He walks up to Jesus and he kisses him. That's a sign of love and affection. That's insincere love. He was simply trying to identify Jesus to the soldiers who would take him away. Let love be without hypocrisy. Sincere love. Real love, not fake love, not phony love, you know, turn a, a, on a click smile, fake Christian love. The real deal, because the real deal will heal people's hearts. It'll heal people's hearts. It'll have an effect on people's lives. Dr. Paul, Paul Tournier, a physician, a Swiss doctor said, I'm convinced nine out of every ten people seeing a psychiatrist don't need one. They need somebody who will love them with God's love and they will get well. D.L. Moody put it this way. He says, if you can really make a man believe you love him, you have won him. And if I could only make people really believe that God loves them, what a rush we would see for the kingdom of God. Then one more quote from William Barclay who said, 
More people have been brought into the church by the kindness of real Christian love than by all the theological arguments in the world. And more people have been driven from the church by the hardness and ugliness of so-called Christianity than by all the doubts in the world. Now this brings us to point number two, why we should love one another, because number two, we are born again through the Word of God. Look at verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. See, all true believers have been spiritually born again, spiritually renewed, remade. We have been spiritually created to be a new man, a new woman, created brand new by God Himself, to be brothers and sisters in the Lord, to love one another. First John 5, 1 says in the New Living Translation, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. It's clear. Now think about this. Do you remember when you were first born again? You know, when I first got saved, when I first got born again, uh, to, the word born again, to some, it was considered a derogatory term. People would say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm just not one of those born again types. What other type are there? I mean, the born again types that they referred to was a radical Jesus freak, ex-hippie Christian, you know, but a, a radical transformation has taken place. But see, that's exactly what being born again means. It means a radical transformation has taken place. You received a new nature. Old things have passed away. All things become new. That phrase, born again, we know it appears first in John chapter 3. Jesus had a, uh, an encounter with Nicodemus, Nick at night. We, we talked about this recently. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And Nicodemus said, we know you are a teacher. Come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with them. But Jesus answers him with what was really on Nicodemus' heart. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Remember, Nicodemus was confused. How can that be? That doesn't make sense. And Jesus tells him in John 3, 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, Nicodemus, you need a rebirth. You need to be reborn. But then at that point, Jesus made this interesting statement to Nicodemus. He said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? In other words, Nicodemus, you should know the Word of God, and you don't know these things. He should have understand the concept because Scripture spoke of it over and over again. Nicodemus should have remembered Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, where Ezekiel prophesied that there would be a new covenant between God and man. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 tells us, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, I will take the heart of the stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in, in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. See, Nicodemus should have made the connection. He should have looked at Ezekiel 37 where Ezekiel was given a vision of, of the valley of, full of dry bones. And the Lord says there in Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel responds, Oh Lord God, you know. But then the Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy to those bones in Ezekiel 37, 4. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And when Ezekiel obeyed and spoke the word of the Lord, suddenly there was a noise of rattling and the bones came together as the old song came. You know, the foot bone connected to the leg bone, leg bone. You know, and the bone, you know, and then the bones and bones that got up and they, they walked around. That song was written after Ezekiel's prophecy. Because your bones were covered in skin, but there was no life in them until Ezekiel 37 verse 5 says, Thus is the Lord God to these bones. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. 
that word for breath is the Spirit. The word Spirit. Again, he's prophesying of being born again through the Spirit of God. The Spirit came into them and filled them with new life. Now we know Ezekiel 37 speaks of prophecy concerning the restoration of the nation of Israel, which is a miracle within itself. And we don't have time to talk about that this morning. But also comes to the heels of Ezekiel 36, and it means to be born again. Nicodemus, Jesus was telling Nicodemus that him being a teacher in Israel, he should have understood God's word enough to know that it speaks of being born again. And then Jesus answered Nicodemus' second question that was on Nicodemus' mind. Who then can be born again? And then Jesus gave one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture, John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus was saying, all those that come to Me in faith, believe in, in Me as Lord and Savior, they could be born again through the Spirit of God. Paul echoed the same thing in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. My point is this. Before we were saved, before we were born again, the only nature that existed within us was our human nature. That nature that's abusive, self-seeking, hypocritical, prideful, angry, selfish, Jealous, withdrawn, arrogant, bitter, deceptive, envious, snobbish, hateful, unloving. That's the human nature. That's what comes natural to us as human beings. But Peter says here that when we became born again in verse 23, we became born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. In other words, when you plant a seed into the ground, that seed has life in it. And as it's planted and as it's watered and it's fertilized, it eventually grows. It'll sprout and bring forth new life, new growth. Same illustration that, that Jesus used with the parable of the sower. The seed representing the Word of God and how it's sown on different soil representing the human heart. Some hearts are really hard and they, they don't take the seed. The, kid, the seed can't take root. While other hearts, you know, the soil has been prepared and readily received the implanted word of God. And the result, what, is new life. And so Peter says, when the word of God was implanted in our hearts, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it resulted in a new life for us. Born again, new life, new creatures in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things become new. You've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. See, the spiritual life implanted by the, by the Holy Spirit to produce this new birth is unfailing and permanent through the Word of God. See, the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, produces the people of God. And it's the truth of the Gospel that saves. Once we're born again, we have a, a godly nature then that comes to dwell within us, called the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's nature is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The proof of a person being born again is it's different. We live different. And there's, there's evidence in our life through the love we have for each other. I mean, think about what happened initially to us at conversion when we were born again by the incorruptible Word of God that lives and endures forever. Our dead life became new. As Jesus would, would put it, out of our hearts began to flow rivers of living water. There's an excitement that came. 
a love for the Lord that's so powerful that it flows over to the people around us, that you, that you love them, you, you, and you want them to know this love that you have, the forgiveness of sin, the grace that has been shown to you. Once we know how much God loves us through, be, through being born again, we're now set free to love other people. Hudson Taylor put it this way, if your father and mother, sister and brother, if the very cat and dog in your house are not happier for you being a Christian, it's a question whether you really are. I hope you have a happy dog. I, I mean, I do. And this brings us to, to point number three. We should love, number, love one another because life is short. Look at verses 24 and 25. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as a flower of the grass, the grass withers and it flowers, falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. I want to point out two things that Peter tells us here. Peter says, number one, life is short. Life is short. James tells us in James 4, verse 14, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Peter says our life is just like that, that, that grass, you know, that, that, that appears so quickly then withers away or the flower that appears just as quick and falls away. And, and then Peter says, and all the glory of man fades just as fast. Do you ever think about, do you ever notice how hard people work at being glorious? Plastic surgeries, tummy tucks, you know, hair transplant, facelifts. Some people work really hard to be attractive and they spend thousands of dollars. But no matter how much glory we achieve, we will age. We'll wrinkle. Our bodies will deteriorate. Sooner or later, we'll pass off this scene called life. Our flesh is no more than the grass that withers and the glory of our flesh is no more than the flower that falls away. So number one, our life is short. Number two, Peter gives us the good news. Verse 25, life is short, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. I love that. Yes, it's true, our lives may be short, but God's word stands forever. It doesn't change. doesn't need any facelift. doesn't need, you know, corrections, no revisions. And so Peter's saying, because the word of the Lord lives forever, because the word of the Lord lives in the heart and the life of every believer, then we have the precious promise that we as believers will live forever. We have that promise. What is the word that stands forever? It's the word of, God, of the gospel that was preached to you. Verse 25. See, if we really receive the word of the gospel, really bring it into our lives, it will live within us forever and will keep us living forever. What is the word of the gospel? John 3.16, again, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Here's my point. We as believers, having received the word of the Lord into our lives, the gospel, we now have eternal life. That means we're going to be living together forever. We are now the family of God. So we need to live like that. There's an old saying that goes, blood is thicker than water. Simply put, you can mess up, you can fall down, you, you can fail, but if we're related by blood, we're going to get you through this because we're family. Blood is thicker than water. Well, Peter's already said that we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God without blemish and without spot. That means we're all spiritual family because we've had a spiritual rebirth. We're all born again. The basis of our love towards one another is that we're all in the same family. We call on the same Heavenly Father. We trust in the same Savior. We all have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us. We all come to salvation the same way by trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. We're all going to be spending eternity together. And so because we're part of a family, we need to recognize that. 
Recognize that the woman sitting next to you might be your wife, but she's also your sister in the Lord. The man sitting next to you might be your husband, but he's also your brother in the Lord. Now, in any family, there's always some weird uncle or crazy aunt, okay? That's just the way it is. We need to love them anyway. And as a family, some of us is messed up, but we're family, and we're to love others in spite of the mess. That's family love. That's what family does. There was a, a psychiatrist who came home after a busy day. He was tired, exhausted. He dragged himself into the front door and saw his wife. And he just put his head in his hands and said, Sweetheart, I've had one, of the, one, one, I've heard one problem after another problem after another problem all day long. I don't want to hear any more problems. So what you have to say to me, give me good news. Don't tell me about another problem we're having in our family. She thought for a moment and said, Well, the good news is two out of our three children didn't break their arm today. That's one way to put it, right? One did, but I won't tell you that. Two out of the three did not. See, it could be that that two out of the three people sitting around you right now is okay. But please be sensitive to the one who's not. My point is, you know, we're a family. We should live like the family of God. We're to love each other from the heart. Love is, uh, is God's command for the church. D.L. Moody said this, You can be a good doctor without loving your patients. You can be a great lawyer without loving your clients. But you cannot be a good Christian without love. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4.16. Speaking of our Lord, Paul says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So that, that's God's formula for church growth. When the church operates in love, then it's healthy and it's strong. And each, each of us have been given gifts and we need to discover them and use them and use them in love. Again, we're in a church, we're going to experience, we're going to encounter every type of person, love them all equally with the same unconditional giving, agape love that God has shown us. See, love, it's like the, the circulatory system in, in the body. And it's been discovered that, that isolated, unloved babies do not grow properly and are especially susceptible to disease, to disease, while babies that are loved and handled grow normally and are stronger. So too with the children of God. If you're an isolated Christian and not around other believers, man, it's not good. They can't grow properly. They can't minister to others, nor can others minister to them. It's been said that truth unites, but lies divide. Selfishness divides, but love unites. As long as we love each other, the way the Bible says we should, there's absolutely nothing that can defeat us. When the church is operating in love, then it's healthy and it's strong. Acts 2.42 tells us, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. And Acts 2.46 says, And then the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let me give you what Acts 2.42 and 47 says in a nutshell. It's an acronym for the word well. W stands for they were a worshiping church. E stands for the fact that they were an evangelizing church. L stands for the fact that they were a learning church. And the second L stands for the fact that they were a loving church. I like that. Listen, my goal is not to have a big church, but to have a strong church spiritually in order to minister to as many people as possibly as we can. And I believe the stronger the love we have for the Lord and for His Word, and the stronger the love we have for one another, the greater opportunities God is going to give us to bring Him glory. Now, it takes people to do that. 
That's why the Lord adds to the church daily such that it should be saved. But you see, everybody has a part to play in the church. You have a part to play in the church. So do I. Each of us have been given gifts, and we need to discover them and use them and use them in love. And we're going to stop here now. We're going to enter into time of communion. And, and I want to remind us that communion is a time for the family to get together, the family of God, those that have been born again, to come together to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made upon the cross. That Jesus willingly surrendered his life as an act of love for us, taking our place upon that cross. We all deserve the cross. We've all broken God's laws, God's commandments. Jesus never deserved the cross because Jesus never broke a single commandment. Jesus never broke one single law of God. Jesus never sinned. So as we gather on the first Sunday of the month to celebrate what Jesus has done for us, we realize that he's cleansed us from all of our sin by paying the price for our sin. And so by us receiving such a great salvation, we become a part of the family of God. And so we celebrate as a family what Jesus has done for us. Now, if you're here this morning and you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, then you're not a part of the family of God yet. My question to you is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Knowing all that Jesus has done for you, knowing what Jesus promises for you, eternal life to take away your, your, your sin, knowing how life short is, why would you wait another, another moment? In fact, Jesus said this in John 5, 15, 13, Greater love has, has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command. So the invitation is there. If you've not been born again this morning into the family of God, I want to invite you to come today to Christ. Give your life to Him and then receive communion with us. Repent of your sins. Receive the forgiveness of your sin through Jesus Christ. Receive the Holy Spirit and receive communion with us. But secondly, as believers, as we enter into this time of communion, if you haven't been doing a good job of loving your fellow brothers or sisters, kind of been irritated by a brother or sister, maybe you got some anger, some bitterness in your heart, now is the time to come before the Lord first and foremost. Say, Lord, change my heart. Forgive me. I don't need to have this bitterness. I don't need to have this unforgiveness in my heart. I need to go to you first, God, and ask for you to forgive me because I've sinned against you first and foremost. Confess our sins. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then when we're done with communion, Make it right with that brother or that sister. Show them the love that God has for you poured out to them through them. And so let's enter into a time of communion, examining our hearts, but also rejoicing as a family for all that God has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we could uh, come to the communion table, Lord, to look back at the sacrifice that you made for us. Ultimate love. Greater love has no one than this and for you to lay down your life for us. God, we're so undeserving, Lord. Help us now, Lord, to lay down our lives. Lord, lay down our selfishness. Lay down our self-centeredness. Lay down our pride. Lay down our, our need to be right all the time. Lord, help us to humble ourselves before you. Lord, help us to have that love for one another that you've called us to have. Father, I know that none of us Decide not to love one another, Lord. It's something that, that the enemy throws at us. It's a temptation to sin. And Lord, I, it's easy to fall into that. I just pray, Lord, for, for my heart, for all of our hearts, Lord, that we would just give that over to you, Lord. 
whatever situation we've had an offense, Lord, we give it to you. Help us to love that other person, Lord. And Father, now again, as we enter into a time of communion, we want to praise you and worship you through what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.